Mac Power Users, Episode 344, Mac Power Users Plus, recorded on October 3rd, 2016. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Hello, David. Hi, Katie. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. We're long overdue on a feedback show, though. We are. We are. And uh, if you've noticed, we've kind of rebranded it a little bit instead of MPU Live, MPU Plus. Are you cool with that? Sure. Why not? We uh, we got some feedback from our listeners as to, you know, what do we call this? Sometimes we are able to record these shows live. Sometimes we're not. You know, what do we call them if they're not actually live shows? So maybe we'll just change the name because, you know, we got the iPhone 7 and the 7 Plus. Yeah. Maybe it's just MPU and MPU Plus. So this is like a usual Mac power users, but with a bigger screen and two lenses. Well, with just a little something extra, maybe. There we go. Okay. And we are going to try and get these back on live shows shortly here. We've just had some scheduling snafus lately, but, you know, with the, the big changes in Katie's life, uh, hopefully we can figure out a time that can accommodate people, right? You're blaming it on me now. I see. No, I mean, just you ch- you made some changes, so that makes it easier for us to record in the middle of the day. So hopefully we can get it uh, a recording time where a lot of our international listeners can, can tune in. All right. Well, we have got uh, no guest this week because we kind of skipped over some of the feedback from uh, last month in order to record the uh, Apple special events. So we are busting at the edges here uh, with lots of great stuff from our listeners. So we, we probably should dig in here. Uh, why don't we get started with listener questions? Yeah, first thing we got from Nick, and this is actually, I'm in the same boat here. Nick says, my family has an old 2008 iMac. It sits in our kitchen, and we mainly use the machine to surf the web. Over the years, I've upgraded the hard drive to an SSD, and I've maxed out the memory. The machine runs El Capitan fine, and it works great for our needs. But based on the information that Apple has put out about Mac OS Sierra, it appears the Mac won't be able to run Sierra, but support for El Cap should run until 2018. Nick says he doesn't like the idea of having machine not on the current OS, since this is the first OS upgrade since the move from Snow Leopard to Lion where Apple has obsoleted some of the previously supported hardware. He's wondering what our thoughts are on what to do with this computer. Does he leave it on El Capitan until support runs and then replace it in the near future? Or what are his options? Yeah, it's a really tough thing for Apple when they have to decide what the cutoff point is for new operating systems, because each one is going to put more of a, a, a tax on the processor. Each one is going to be a little harder on the machine. So if they start cutting off machines, people are going to say, hey, you know, you're not being fair to us. You're just trying to get us to buy new computers. Uh, if they don't cut off the machines and they the users get a bad experience, then they're going to be mad because, you know, they gave them software that really isn't ideal on their older hardware. So you're really between a rock and a hard place when you've got this older software. It is good. Uh, according to Apple, they're going to support uh, Nick's machine until 2018, which would give him 10 years on that iMac. I think what I would do in his shoes is take a look at what are the features that are new to Sierra that you really, really need, if there are any. I suspect, frankly, there probably aren't. And if you can get by an LCAP, I probably would just leave it just there. But if you're using features that uh, are are important to you that are only in Sierra, 
you may want to think about either upgrading the machine to new hardware or seeing if you can find a workaround. Quite often there are workarounds to get the newer operating system installed on unsupported hardware, but just be warned that you may run into some brick walls in that process. This is a particularly difficult leap right now because for the first time in several years, Sierra leaves older machines behind. The last couple of operating system upgrades, Apple has not changed their specs. So I have a machine. I have a a late 2009 Mac Mini that is technically left behind. Although I will say, interestingly, David, that machine keeps prompting me to upgrade Sierra. So I think I might this weekend back it up and see what happens if I upgrade to Sierra. Because I, I suspect I'll get an error at some point. But the machine keeps prompting me to upgrade. So if it won't let me upgrade, that's kind of a bad user experience because most normal people don't know what's supported and what's not. But if it will let me upgrade, that would be nice. Um, So Apple, now that they're doing these yearly software upgrades, I mean, I I understand what you're saying, Nick. I am a big proponent of, of keeping upgraded, if nothing else, to make sure that you get the latest security fixes because you're right. At some point, you're going to run into trouble. Although Apple does typically support the last operating system and sometimes one even further back. So um, you said that support for El Capitan should run until 2018. That's kind of based historically on what Apple has done. You know, as long as Apple is continuing to update and issue security patches, which they should probably at least for the next year and maybe beyond that, I, I think you're good. If it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, keep working with that iMac. I don't know that they're, you know, we did a whole show on Sierra Last two weeks ago, I think, David, Um, I don't know that there is a super compelling reason in Sierra. There's some nice upgrade features to Sierra, but I don't know that there's anything that that makes me say I absolutely have to upgrade to Sierra. So I'm not throwing my old Mac mini out the window anytime soon just because it won't go to Sierra. I, I might try to upgrade it and see what happens, especially because it's prompting me. I don't recommend that you do that at home. I'll let you know how that turns out for me. Um, but I, I'd wait and see and, and see where it goes. And, you know, like David says, at least you'll have 10 years on that Mac, which is a which is a pretty good run. Yeah, that's one of the, the problems that you use as a Mac user. You know, your Dell machine, you're never going to run into the 10 year problem, you know, <laughs> but you will with a Mac. So um, so I, I think the default answer there is just stay with the recommended operating system. Don't try and push the envelope unless you have a really good reason. And like Katie said, if you're going to do that, if you're going to install an update on an unsupported machine, back it up as many ways as possible before you do it, because you may want to unwind that later. Yeah. And I would also just say, be vigilant uh, with, with what you're doing, especially if you're running a machine that's not on the latest operating system and the latest hardware, make sure that you're up to date with your security patches, be vigilant about what you're running, watch out for things like flash or other problems or, or browsers that may no longer be supported or updated. Again, it's probably going to be a couple of years before you're running into those problems, but just keep an eye out for them. It's interesting because Apple's ecosystem is so much involved with interoperability and the ability for devices to communicate with each other. And with every new release of iOS and um, Mac OS, they have new features where they're supposed to talk to each other, like the clipboard sharing is the the most recent one. Uh, You're going to miss out on that if you have uh, hardware that's not caught up. Apple uh, Apple Note sharing and some of this other stuff is another one that comes to mind. So it it really comes down to those features, how many of those you use. But as your system gets older and older, you're going to miss out on more and more of those features to the extent they work. All right. We had a question from Matthew about Drobo versus Synology. And his question is, what are the pros and cons of Drobo versus Synology? 
I know that I would be gaining several USB ports with several options, but are there advantages or disadvantages to being connected via Thunderbolt versus Ethernet? And what are the pros and cons of three and a half versus two and a half inch drives? It is the addition of my wife's work MacBook Pro changed the equation. She recently changed jobs and had a terrible time getting things off her Dell something or other. And so now she's getting a MacBook Pro and I'm adding it to the backup plan. And so setting her up with a different Dropbox Google Drive is a different story. Money's not a huge object, but in making a choice, I would probably want to start off with four two terabyte flash drives or anything um, more than the base unit, but I am willing to pay for a solid, long-lasting solution with expandability is needed. Oh, I'm sorry. You said I probably wouldn't be starting out with four. I was going to say that's probably a nice setup. Um, he said I'll likely be getting a 500 gigabyte SSD and two four terabyte hard disk drives and slowly migrate things to there. Most likely my plans are for a Plex library as this drive is filling up fast. So I think Matthew unpacked a lot of questions in there, but I think the fundamental question that you have to look at first, and it, it was kind of snuck in there, um, but I think the first thing Matt has to look at is, does he want a direct attached storage versus network attached storage? And he kind of alluded that to his question of, do I want Thunderbolt versus Ethernet? But there are definitely pros and cons of both. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I use I've used Ethernet attached in the past, and I still have one that we put some backup on. But the the device I really like is my attached Drobo. It's attached directly to my iMac via Thunderbolt, and the reason I like it so much is it's got a really fast connection. There's no problem putting you know big piles of movies and other media rich stuff on that thing and taking them off the SSD in my iMac. And by now that is because your iMac is really the hub of your, your central computing life. And although your family members have other machines, they probably aren't as regularly accessing the data that's on that Drobo as you are fair. Is that a fair statement? Well, yes and no. I mean, the, the media access here is through family sharing available to them so they can kind of get to it in a roundabout way, but you know, nobody else in the family is a data hog like me. So it makes sense. And you have that iMac that's always on and connected. And so they're they're kind of accessing it through the network in a roundabout way through the iMac. Now, you as a, lap, you as a laptop user, I would suspect you're going the other direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm very strongly in the network attached storage camp. And, you know, the pros with network attached storage is it's at my house. It's sitting on my network. I can access it with all of my devices. The downside to that is I'm going to lose some speed because, it's, I mean, Ethernet is fast, of course. But it's not going to be as fast as your direct wired Thunderbolt connection. It's going to be prone to to hiccups in the network connection and things like that. And so I think I think if you're going to be accessing it, Matthew, and if your wife's going to be accessing it, I and depends on the kind of data that you're storing there and who's going to be accessing it and how often. You know, if you've got multiple people accessing this drive, that to me would tend to lend more towards network attached storage. Whereas if it's going to be one central repository that's primarily going to be used by your main family computer, that to me tends to lend towards, you know, direct attached storage. Yeah. The the downside of the Ethernet is that it's slow. I mean, you're not going to be able to to move piles and piles of data over it very quickly. I wouldn't call it slow. I mean, you can, I've got a hardwired gig connection to mine and it's, it's pretty zippy. I mean, I'm still streaming HD movies on it through my Plex server. I'm still moving terabytes of data on it regularly. Now, is it as fast as your Thunderbolt Thunderbolt connected direct connect storage? 
No, it's not. But is it fast enough to to stream HD movies across my network? Yeah, it is. Is it fast enough to move large files? Yeah, it is. It's interesting. You have a, a newer house than I, and you've got Ethernet throughout all your walls. Yes. And to me, that is actually a an important point in making that decision. If you've got a hardwired house like that, um, that's a big check mark in favor of Ethernet storage because the, the downside of slower speed is taken care of by that Ethernet cable. And I still think yours is going to be faster, even though I'm direct connect with Ethernet. But, yeah, it's still another thing to talk about. So I think that's the first question you have to look at is, do you want it direct connect or network attached storage? And then once you figure out that, then you've got to look at the various offerings that are available and the various features and the various manufacturers. Um, Drobo makes some great direct attached storage devices. Um, If you're looking at network attached storage, then it's really the Drobo and um, for the consumer level, and they've got some bigger models for the for the um, pro level, but that's probably not what you're going to be looking at in your setup. Now, Synology, I will tell you candidly, I don't have a lot of experience with. I, I really want to start taking a look at one soon, and I'm, I'm thinking about getting one to compare and contrast. I have heard very good things about Synology from uh, our friends who are, are running them. I think software-wise, they've got a lot of features and a lot of options. Um, they can be highly configurable. The Drobo has got an app platform and they're going that direction too. So I think you just need to look at what are the offerings and what's available on the various platforms. So I think you just need to do your homework there. And then there's a lot of options, especially in the direct connect storage camp that are neither of the two. You know, if you want to get a direct connect um, Thunderbolt or USB-C or whatever option, you know, a lot of times you can find just a bunch of RAID drives that you can put together in direct connect. Yeah, a friend of mine has an iMac and he has just bought a, I think it's a four terabyte Western digital drive that he Velcroed to the bottom side of the desk. And that's his storage. Now it's not as fancy. I mean, with the, with the, with the, you know, these RAID arrays, you're going to have uh, data integrity and, uh, and backups if something goes bad. But that's, you know, that is kind of a low tech solution to the problem. Okay. Um, I, I don't think you can really go wrong, though. The, both of those companies, Drobo and Synology, have good reputations, make good hardware. I've bought several Drobos over my lifespan. I like them because you can put any drive in them and, and update them. I think you can do the same thing with Synology. I just haven't really spent time with them. Uh, in terms of 3.5 versus 2.5-inch drives, I don't think that really matters. Well, the 3.5-inch drives are going to be a lot cheaper. And the hardware is going to be bigger um, and probably have a bigger fan because it's bigger. Um, but the, the ones I've always bought were the 3.5 inch, you know, desktop class drives, not the laptop class drives. And, uh, you're going to like it once you get it, spend a little bit of time, whichever platform you go with, like Katie said, they've both got apps platforms, especially for the ethernet connected stuff. I mean, you're going to be able to do Plex on either platform. You're going to be able to have remote access through either platform. So, so once you spend the money on that, it's kind of like adding an extra computer to the house when you put it on the Ethernet. It has its own processor and it can run apps. So don't just buy it and let it sit there. Get the most out of it because you're a Mac power user, Matt. So we need you to do that. Let us know what you decide and how it goes. So uh, someone who shall remain anonymous wrote in and says that they were looking for some input on a problem they're having with their 2013 Mac Mini. So originally they bought this to use for audio production and they had good intentions and they kept the machine off the internet for months to not risk compromising the integrity of the computer, knowing full well that they would be tempted to download programs from, shall we say, shady areas of the internet. 
Well, long story short, our anonymous writer got adventurous and recently downloaded a, I'm using air quotes here, free Adobe suite. Yes, free is never free, gang. And it wreaked havoc on their computer. Uh, This program also came along with a Mac helper or Mac cleaner or some other kind of lovely program of that nature. And it was not a pleasant experience. The computer was rendered completely unusable with pop-ups appearing faster than you could close them out. Uh, Our anonymous friend spent hours and days trying to read up and get rid of all the programs, trackers, and related items, but needless to say, never could end up with all of it. They say everything is backed up on Backblaze and wondering if they should just do a factory restore on the hard drive and re-download the essentials. While this is tempting, I'm sure it will come with its own set of issues, Our friend says that they rely on a couple of these, air quotes, free programs for various things. And these programs have never been an issue in the past. Just the most recent free, air quotes, Adobe suite that they downloaded. Um, And so other than getting a better paying job that will allow them to afford legitimate software and programs, what do we suggest they do? Yeah, you know, we hear about this occasionally. I don't think it's as much of an issue now as it used to be. But, you know, people go on these BitTorrent sites and download, um, you know, ripped copies of the software of some of the more expensive suites. And Adobe is, is one of the frequent ones. Microsoft Office is another one that people do. Used to be Quark all the time. I don't think Quark's that big of a thing anymore. Yeah, it just depends what it is that you want. Um, it, a couple things have happened to reduce this. Number one is it seems to me that nearly all of the software that is available on these BitTorrent sites is, um, is corrupted, you know, and maybe it will install Adobe Acrobat, but who knows what else it's installing at the same time, because the people who put it up there know that you're getting it illegally and they feel like they have open season to get into your data and your computer. So it's just really a dreadful thing. The other reason why this is a lot more difficult now is that these companies have got smarter. I mean, when Microsoft was looking at how much money they were losing, they very intentionally went to this subscription plan system where now you pay X dollars a month to get access to the Microsoft Office suite. And um, so it's, it's getting harder to implement the uh, quote unquote free software and the stuff is getting more and more toxic. So most people that try it have an experience like this. I you know, it's it's not because I'm, you know, super guy, but I've never been tempted to download um, RIP software, um, you know, short of the old days where my buddies and I carried around, you know, floppy disks for our Apple IIs and our on our original Macs, whether we had like shareware games on them. But I just never thought it made sense. And now more than ever, you can get alternative software to do a lot of the stuff this more expensive software can do. If Adobe is too expensive for you, there are Pixelmators and things like Pixelmator out there that can very come very close to matching the feature set of Adobe where you can buy it legitimately for, I think it was like $30 now to get Pixelmator, and which is l- less than one month subscription of the Adobe suite. Well, or PDF Pen instead of Acrobat. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's options out there for you now, um, but I just don't think even if there wasn't a moral problem with stealing uh, the software. Um, Practically, it's just never going to work for you. And ultimately, whenever this happens, you cannot fix the problem by doing something surgical on your computer. The only way to solve the problem is a nuke and pay. If you got to go back and just reformat the drive, reinstall the operating system and start from scratch, because that software, they stick their hooks in all over the place and you are not going to be able to unhook it. 
So I have a couple of things to add. Um, I, I agree with David. The new can pave and restore your documents and your legitimate programs, I think, is really the only solution here. And I really think that this is I, I completely feel for you. I understand. I, I have been there in situations where I really couldn't afford software and was working on side gigs and side projects and um, didn't know how I was going to handle that. And I really think that this is where subscription services, and believe me, I am no fan of subscription services, but this is where subscription services can be advantageous. I mean, if this is truly, uh, I, guess, I guess I would ask, is, is this a hobby? Is this something you're doing for fun or is this truly work? I mean, if this is software that you're using for work and you need this software, one of the beauties of a subscription service is that you can turn on and off the subscription service and only pay for it during the months when you have paying gigs and you need the software and, you know, try to time the the software subscription accordingly so that you do the pieces of work or maybe time a couple of projects so that you all you, you, you can do a couple of projects during the particular month or months that you have access to the software and, you know, get the most bang for your buck. But, you know, time it so that you, you know, turn it on for a couple of months, you know, get your projects, get paid and, and turn it off and then you know, really use that to your, to your benefit. I mean, David and I are both business owners and understand that, you know, we have to budget and figure that stuff out accordingly. But uh, I agree with David. There's certainly, you know, I would look at, at other solutions that are maybe more cost effective where you can own the software and do what you can with it, but use the subscription service to your advantage. Otherwise. Just a little rant on software pricing. I am um, just this past month, I spent some time in Indianapolis, which is by the way, a beautiful city. If you've never been there. But the um, the release notes conference, and it was a bunch of indie developers. And I talked to them about, you know, the legal perils of being a, a developer. But I got to spend a lot of time talking to these guys that make their living, many of which make productivity software. And they are all suffering. I mean, it's not, you know, none of them are, you know, there's, there's this popular myth of making an app and becoming a billionaire and getting your Tesla or whatever. And the productivity software makers are not those people, you know? Um, and at one point I asked a bunch of them, we were sitting around a table. I said, how does a productivity app developer for iOS these days or Mac um, make a go of it? How do you make a living making this stuff where we've got this culture where people go crazy if you want to charge $3 for an app? And the answer was immediate to all of them. They said, well, we, we take contract work, which is means they spend a bunch of time working for other people to earn money so they can make the productivity software that doesn't really make much money. And I got thinking, what a shame that is for us as users that some of the brightest people making software feel like that they can't actually make the stuff that, that we love and that they love making because of the pricing mess. And you know, I don't know what the ultimate solution is, but as of users, we should all be aware that some of our favorite software is really in jeopardy with this current economy. I don't really have an answer, but I think a lot of the Mac Power users out there should be aware of that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Boom 2 from Global Delight. Head over to boomformac.com and your Mac's speakers will never sound the same again. We all use our Macs for a lot of different purposes. Some of us use them for professional creative designing and others stick to daily usage like Netflix and YouTube. But the one feature that all of these depend on is the use of the system's volume. We have all found at times that we just need a little bit more when it comes to the volume out of the Mac speakers. We like our favorite music to be louder. 
We wish that our movies sounded crisper, and we all want Skype call audio to be more enhanced. Well, Boomtube, my global delight, solves all of those problems. Boomtube is a small yet powerful app that enhances the volume on the Mac. When you install Boomtube on your Mac, it will automatically calibrate itself to the system audio. Whether you're putting it on a tiny laptop or a big iMac, it will figure it out for you. And whenever any audio comes out of the Mac, it will boost it to perfection. Even the most feeble speakers and sounds are amplified to their best possible output. Boom 2 promises an immersive and crystal clear audio experience. Boom 2 works across the system's audio. So whether you're deep in editing or just browsing the web, the volume gets intelligently boosted when you need it. The app smartly tunes itself to the perfect highs and lows and boosts the volume to the best suited range. Global Delight believes that Boom 2 was something that there's just no going back from. And I'd have to agree with this. I first met the gang from Boom 2 a few years ago at Macworld, and I thought it was some kind of snake oil until I saw it in effect, and then I immediately bought my own copy. Boom 2 also comes with amazing audio effects, which are available as in-app purchases. The effects blend beautifully with audio and create an addictive audio environment. In addition to all of this, Boom 2 also lets you play around with the output with its customizable equalizers letting you tweak your own output to your heart's content. So if you want to get immersed in an audio experience like never before, go to boomformac.com. That's B-O-O-M-F-O-R-M-A-C.com. The app comes with a seven-day free trial, which lets you use the entire app, including all the effects. If you've ever wanted more out of your Mac speakers, I encourage you to go check out boomformac.com. They really deliver, and happy booming, everybody. Thanks so much to Global Delight for supporting this show and Relay FM. Nick wrote in about upgrading an older Mac, and he said he's a music teacher in upstate New York. Yay, music teachers. Uh, I have a 21.5-inch iMac running El Cap with a 2.5 gigahertz Intel Core 5 and 4 gigabytes of memory. The iMac seems to be running very slow, and I'd like to explore reasons for this and solutions to make this older piece of equipment more functional. What can I easily upgrade? How can I get this machine to work like it used to? So good news, bad news. I think I've identified the problem. Uh, the bad news is I'm not sure you can do anything <laughs> about it. All right. Well, let's do what, what can he do something about? Well, I my first thought is I think it's the RAM. I think the four gigabytes of memory, memory is what's limiting you there. Um, but depending on what year that iMac is, if it's a 12.5 inch iMac, the 21.5. Yeah. I'm sorry, 21, especially if it's 12.5 inch iMac. But if it's a 21.5 inch iMac, um, I, you may not be able to upgrade the RAM. That may not be user serviceable RAM. So that's the first thing that I would check. So, so look up your serial number and, and even go to some of these memory sites. They'll show you instructions. Sometimes a little event on the bottom or the back that you unscrew if you can service, if the user can change the RAM out. Yeah, I, I, I do not think that model is, but I hope that I'm wrong for you, Nick, um, which is just a reminder to everybody else. Double check when you're buying these Macs, because a lot of the, the current 21.5 inch iMacs um, and, uh, you know, the MacBook Airs and a lot of the MacBook Pros now, those those are not user serviceable anymore. Um, and so the RAM that you buy is the RAM that you get. Yeah, it's soldered onto the board and you are not changing it short of something truly harrowing. I don't even think you're changing it. But anyway, um, but check, uh, check with Cruise. You know, I say check with OWC because not only do they sell you the RAM, they've also got some great install videos. So if anybody has a solution, you know, they, they might for you. Um, 
The other thing you could look at doing is you could, you know, the single greatest besides, you know, the RAM, I think is low. I think if you had eight gigabytes of RAM, I'd say you'd be low, but okay. Um, but the other thing you can look at doing is is changing that to an SSD, changing your internal uh, hard drive to an SSD. Um, look at adding either a, a 256 or even a 500 gigabyte SSD now is fairly inexpensive. Now, that's certainly going to help you with things like boot time and um, things launching. Um, if you're capping out your memory, though, it's not going to help a ton with that. The The problem is, is that changing an SS, changing a hard drive on an iMac is going to require a suction cup and removing the screen. Now, I've been told that once you do this a couple of times, it's not that difficult and it's not that harrowing. But if if this is something that that freaks you out, you may want to take it to an authorized service center. But of course, having someone else do it for you is probably going to almost double the cost of 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 this type of replacement. But get a price because it may not be super. You know, it may be a lot cheaper than buying a new machine. Um, I'm just not sure that changing out the SSD alone is going to make a huge difference with only four gigs of RAM. It depends a lot on what you're going to do. Yeah, I think Katie's right. I think the bottleneck is the RAM. So if you can uh, user replace RAM, I would I would upgrade the RAM yourself and see if that fixes it enough. And if that doesn't, get some prices to, to do the uh, swap out of the drive to a SSD. I, I cannot get over how much of an improvement an SSD is over a conventional drive. If you haven't done one yet, you're in for a treat. But just about everyone at this point's done it, I think. Yeah, I mean, something that's not going to cost you much and certainly can be used again in the future is using a general purpose utility like, you know, Clean My Mac or even Onyx to do some general purpose housekeeping. Uh, I would say before you spend a significant amount of money, just compare the cost of your upgrades to the value of the machine and its life expectancy, um, especially if you find out that you can't upgrade that RAM. Um, you know, you may want to look at what what can you sell this Mac for versus what is a new one going to cost you. Yeah, you could. I would think that Nick could get an educational discount. He's a teacher. And uh, if you could get a few bucks for the old machine, it may not be a huge delta between what it would cost to buy a new one after selling the old one and doing some of these upgrades. The other thing is rumor has it that we might see an upfresh, uh, a refresh to the Mac line in October. And if we do, then what is now the current Macs will quickly go up on the refurb store on sale. And you get a good deal on one of those. And, and Nick, definitely look at the refurb store because even if we don't get a replacement to iMac, there are always iMacs there that are being sold as refurbs that you can save quite a bit of money on. I think my the one I bought was $300 less than it would have been if I bought it new. But do compare refurb store to education pricing because you typically can't get both on top of each other. So we've talked a lot about Evernote and what's going on with Evernote and their price increase. And, you know, I am still an Evernote premium subscriber. I haven't done anything with my subscription yet. I haven't really found a good replacement to Evernote. Um, but Mitch wrote in, or no, he didn't write in. He called in or he recorded an audio comment and sent it to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com uh, in defense of Evernote. And I think Mitch brought up some great points, things that probably need to be said. So I'll just let Mitch say them. Hi, this is Mitch Wagner, 400 feet east of San Diego. I want to say a few words in defense of Evernote. It's an extremely useful program. I'm not going to go into everything it does because you guys have done a great job talking about that. Um, but what I am going to talk about is a lot of the talk recently about people who are looking at the company direction and the price change that Evernote recently had and are planning to quit or are quitting already. And my advice is don't quit, wait. Um, 
The price change really isn't all that much in the scheme of things. Uh, it's $35 a year for the mid-range package and $70 a year for the premium price, and you get a lot for your money. Now, I actually quit Evernote in last year. I had an older Mac that just couldn't handle the app, and I was discouraged by the direction, so I stopped using it. But I came back because I got a more powerful Mac, um, and it's just too darn useful. Um, also, the company seems to be moving in a better direction than it was. Uh, the new CEO seems more sensible than the old guy. Um, under the old management, uh, they seem to want to take on Google and Microsoft and become everything to everyone with talk about wearables and making Evernote a universal repository for all information. Uh, they introduced work chat, which all Evernote users hate, and they were even selling socks. Under the new management, the new leadership, they seem to have their head back on straight. They're talking about refocusing Evernote on what it's good at, note-taking. So why leave now? Um, you may have to leave in the future, but uh, hold off. If you've got a lot of notes, leaving is going to be painful, whether you do it now or whether you do it later. If you do it now, you're definitely going to be in pain. If you do it later, you might be in pain. Don't trade possible pain in the future for actual pain now. Just sit tight and see what happens. Keep up the great work, guys. I'm MitchWagner.com on my blog and Mitch Wagner on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Google+. Thanks, Mitch. That's uh, some sensible advice. I think with Evernote, I think the the advice I would give at this point is, if you like it and if you're using it, you should still use it, as Katie is doing. I would be, if you're not using it, however, I'd be a little hesitant to dive in at this point. And it, it really depends on what you're using it for. Uh, like Mike Hurley on our network was using it just for trips. And he found it very easy to switch that workflow over to Apple Notes and he doesn't have to pay monthly fee and he was happy. Katie, I know you do a lot more with it. So it, it really is where you sit on that spectrum. And they haven't gone under yet, but boy, it's a little scary when you start reading the reports. I'm sticking with it for now. All right. We got a lot of feedback about our Amazon show. It seems many people out there love Amazon just as much as I do. Uh, and I've got some good tips from here, and I, I figured we'd share them. Uh, Adam probably sent in one of my favorite tips that I'd never thought about, and I'm totally going to do this next time I travel. But Adam says, we live in Philadelphia and recently flew to Orlando uh, to spend a week at Disney World. I'm going to Disney World this week, by the way, David. Yes. For uh, MacTrack Legal. Great. Uh, anyway, we stayed at a resort and used their Magic Express buses to get between the airport and Disney and between the parks and resorts so we didn't need to rent a car. Instead of getting an Uber and spending our vacation time grocery shopping, we placed a prime pantry order a few days before our trip and had it delivered right to the resort. It was even in our room when we arrived. We had all of the snacks, drinks, breakfasts, etc. that we needed for the whole week. Prime Pantry is a super convenient way to get these things we need in these kinds of trips. Have you ever used Prime Pantry? I think this is a great idea. I haven't used it yet, but like I just we're going to try and go to Hawaii in 2017. I'm thinking, well, I think that may be what we do rather than make the grocery trip on our vacation. I mean, this isn't going to work for perishable items. So you couldn't buy like milk or eggs or deli meat or things like that. But you could definitely gear up on your snacks. And a lot of the places where you stay will have like a small little store for, you know, things like milk and eggs and basics like that. But you can, you can save a lot of money if you bring with you just, you know, snacks and, you know, even if you just eat like breakfast in your hotel or your condo or wherever. I mean, that's a huge time saver. 
How about you? Have you used Prime Pantry yet? I used it once uh, just to kind of see what it was about. I, I don't think it's something that I'm going to use for my regular grocery shopping, but I can definitely see using it. I can see using it for a couple of things. I can see using it for special occasions like this. And I can also see using it like at an office where, you know, you occasionally need these types of things, but um, you don't necessarily want somebody regularly having to make a grocery store run. Makes sense. Mark wrote in about Amazon's too friendly return policy. Uh, he says a problem with Amazon is their friendly return policy. If you send something back to Amazon, it's sent out to the next customer as new. No problem with stuff I would send back, but others scratch it, break it, exchange it for something, and another customer receives that. During the upgrade time of the Hue lamps, it was a big problem. A lot of the customers have sent back their old lamps and kept the new ones, and the next customer ordered the new version and got the old used lamp. I had no idea they would do that with stuff that was returned. Well, I think part of it depends on what it looks like and what type of condition it's in. Or how it's reported, yeah. I uh, I had a problem. And now, people who are ordering the new Hue bulbs and returning their old Hue bulbs, I mean, that's fraud. And those people are criminals, and they need to stop that. Um, and, and Amazon needs to, you know, prosecute a few of them and then that'll be that. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but you know, shame on you. I had this happen with a, uh, TiVo mini that I ordered from Amazon and I don't know what the deal was. My guess is somebody ordered it and it didn't quite work for them or they, you know, a lot of with like tech items, people either can't get them to work or they don't work as expected. And so I ordered it from Amazon. It, it looked like it had been open, but it was otherwise in, in great shape and, and looks new. But it had the problem was is it had been activated. Someone had activated on their account, which means I couldn't activate it. So I get this thing, I get it home, I get it all set up, I get it, you know, mounted where I want it to go, and then TiVo can't activate it because it's already been activated on somebody else's account before. And they can't take care of it for whatever reason through customer service. So I've actually got to return it to Amazon. And, you know, I they Amazon, of course, because they have great customer service. You know, they they next day air me something. So I've got it solved the next day, but it's still a pain. Yeah, and it's frustrating because you get your new thing there and you can't do anything with your new thing. That's no fun. Tim wrote in, uh, we talked about those inexpensive fire tablets and what we do with them. And Tim had an idea. He said a really good reason for getting a $35 Kindle fire tablet is to use it as a Sonos controller. You can download the app from Amazon's app store and have a great cheap Sonos controller with a nice big screen, get multiple ones for around the house as they are so cheap. I see you thinking about it right now. No, not really. To tell you the truth. When, I, when the email came in, I gave it some thought. I'm like, well, what if I Velcroed one to the wall? You know, you could, if you could run an electric line to it just to keep it always working, anybody could walk up to the wall, open the app and start, you know, playing music they want. But we're pretty good with the Sonos app that's on our phones right now. And we have the family subscription to Apple Music. So everybody in the family knows how to go into Apple Music and pick whatever they want on their phone and they can get the Sonos rolling. So I don't know that it's that useful, except, you know, it's one more thing to have to keep working and charged and all that. So so I, I passed, but I thought it was a good idea. I, I still think they make good, you know, kind of first tablets for kids or people who are likely to break them. Uh, Leonard wrote in and reminded us about the Amazon credit card. If you're a heavy Amazon user, Leonard says you should consider the Amazon credit card. It has no annual fee and 5% cash back on all Amazon purchases. Uh, it's something to consider. I am not a fan of having a lot of credit cards. I don't like opening credit cards just for points and things like that. But if you're looking for one, it might be something to look at. If you're going to pay it off every month, it just means you get 5% off everything. Yeah, but then you got another credit card. 
Yep. Yep. I didn't do that either, but I get it. Um, Gary wrote in Amazon music is not for families regarding the music portion of prime. It's important to note for those with families, Amazon prime music can only be used by the account holder. Whereas I can have up to six family members on Apple music. Hope this helps others with families who may erroneously decide like I did to ditch their Apple music subscription. Thankfully I avoided a family mutiny by resubscribing to Apple music. (laughs) I, uh, I, I know people don't like Apple music. I know every time it comes up, we get a couple emails from people that say it's not good enough, but boy, my family sure likes Apple music. Fred wrote in with a tip about order history reports. He says, did you know that Amazon will produce a spreadsheet of your orders This is neat if someone comes in and removes TVs, AEV units, or speakers without your permission, or if you have a fire. I believe that this will help prove to the insurance company that you had ownership. He said, I use this feature every year to make sure I have not list anything off our table for IRS deduction. Uh, This is great because I order a lot of things from Amazon that I ultimately try to take a deduction on at some point because I use this for a lot of business purchases. It says, look for your account, your orders, and your order history reports. So I'm going to definitely check that out. It'd be nice if they had a way that you could flag items as a business expense as you were buying them. I, the, the way I get around that now is I have a couple credit cards in Amazon. I have one for the, the law corporation and one for Max Sparky, and I actually purchase things on different cards, and then we track it through the statements. But it would be nice if I could have Amazon do that for me. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Automatic, the small adapter that turns your old clunker into a smarter connected car. You can save $20 off the regular price by using code MACPOWER at checkout. So Automatic has just launched the Automatic Pro. It is their new unlimited 3G car adapter with no monthly subscriptions or fees. Now, the previous Automatic was pretty special. I've been using one in my car for years, and I just upgraded to the Automatic Pro. And what makes the Automatic Pro so special is that it connects not by Bluetooth, but by an always-on 3G connection. And by beauty of using 3G instead of Bluetooth is that it means that you're constantly connected. So it can do things when your phone isn't even in your car, like let you know where your vehicle is parked at any time, or it lets you track your vehicle in case of theft. It also works with If This Then That for endless customization connecting your car to the rest of your life. You can link your connected car to devices like the Nest thermostat or the Amazon Echo. And you can say things like, Alexa, where'd I park my car? And with the automatic skill, she'll tell you. You can also get real human help in a crash. Automatic Pro detects when there are severe accidents and trained responders will call for help even when you can't. Automatic works with nearly every car made after 1996. It works on all iPhone and Android devices and takes just minutes to set up. You can find more information by going to automatic.com slash MacPower. And when you use that offer code or the coupon code MacPower, you'll save $20 off the regular purchase price. I love connecting automatic to If This Then That, and I've done that to set up a couple of recipes like to track all of my rides using a Google spreadsheet, which makes it very easy during tax time to submit my receipts for deductions. I've also connected automatic to my Nest, so I don't have to worry about running up my AC bill when I'm not here. But when I pull into the driveway, my thermostat automatically kicks on. So it keeps my house nice and cool. Again, you can learn more information at automatic.com slash MacPower. And don't forget to use the coupon code MacPower to save $20 off the regular purchase price. Thanks so much to Automatic for their continued support of MacPower users. All right. So we had a show called iPhone Productivity, and I got a lot of really good feedback. And in that show, we talked about how to be productive with your iPhone, uh, starting with the feedback from Jason. 
uh, with a little bit of a correction. He said, I have a correction to share about the recent iPhone productivity show. During the segment on email, David made a comment about preferring dispatch to other third-party email clients in part because of their implementation of a special share seat for OmniFocus. I've been using Spark as my primary email client for several months, but only recently made the switch to OmniFocus. As a result, I don't know if this is new or not, but when I want to convert an email to a task, I choose more from the Spark share sheet, which brings up an iOS share sheet and the default OmniFocus action. This brings up a small window with the title pre-filled and the contents of the email in the notes field, but it also gives me the option to specify project and context. Something I suggest that David suggests is not possible. The only missing items would be deferring due dates or flag status. So while not covering all options, it may be enough for many. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to say that you couldn't do it at all. They do have a share sheet, but it's a native share sheet that they use in SparkMail, whereas Dispatch and AirMail both have a custom implementation that gives you defer dates, due dates, flags. It just gives you more um, options, which I like. I like options when I'm setting up OmniFocus tasks from the email. So I think AirMail and Dispatch do better, um, but if you really love SparkMail and it's good enough for you with that OmniFocus share sheet, you're probably fine. Speaking of OmniFocus, OmniFocus, there we go. I got an email from audio comment from Mark about a cool tip for Slack and OmniFocus integration. Hey, Katie and David, it's Mark from St. Augustine, Florida. And on MPU number 336, you talked about iPhone productivity. And David mentioned that he manually enters tasks that come from Slack into his OmniFocus while he's on the go. Well, I struggled with the same thing for a while, but I figured just this is the case with so many other things, there had to be an easier way. And luckily there is through the magic of Zapier. You can send tasks to OmniFocus without ever having to leave Slack. Here's how you do it. All you need to do is make a new Zap using Slack as the trigger app. Next, you're going to select New Start Message in Slack as the trigger that gets that zap started. Next, set OmniFocus as the action app and create task as the action Zapier takes based on the trigger. Now, each time you start a message in Slack, Zapier will automatically forward that start message to your OmniFocus mail drop email address, landing that task right in your inbox. So the only downside to this is that if you have multiple Slack teams you're a part of, you have to create a separate zap for each one of those teams. Now, creating a task in OmniFocus from Slack is as easy as starring a message, which on the iOS app, all you have to do is hold down on the message and a little pop-up will come up. Thanks for letting me share that tip. I really love the show. You know how I was whining earlier in the show that, you know, software developers are suffering because we won't pay enough for it? Mm Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm guilty of that with Zapier. I mean, Zapier is a service that by all descriptions is if this, then that on steroids, it's supposed to do more, be more powerful, but it comes with a monthly subscription. And I have never really got into it deep because I've been too cheap to just sign up for it. I think what I need to do is just sign up for like three months and see how much time it can save me if I really take advantage of all those Zapier features. So I guess I'm going to commit to that, Katie Floyd. And in a future feedback show or maybe content show, we're going to go into that and talk about it. So if you're a Zapier user out there and you think that I'm missing something, let me know as I start my experiment. I foresee a future if this, then that and Zapier episode coming. Maybe. I don't know if it's enough for a full show or not, but it's definitely uh, some interesting stuff going on over the Zapier end. And a lot of us have not gone there just because we don't want to spend the money on it. You know, the other one's free, you know, so uh, let's take a look. Free but limited. And honestly, the the whole holdup with If This Then That, I think the thing that, hold, that holds it back for me is the fact it can do one thing. 
if one thing happens, do then, then do one other thing. I wanted to say if one thing happens, then do two or three other things. You know, there's a service for that, but you have to pay for it. Yeah, it's called Zapier. <laughs> okay. I feel like we just ran in a circle, Katie Floyd. I know we do that sometimes. You know, I was lamenting about uh, a business card scanner. And one of the reasons that I love Evernote so much, and I love the Evernote premium feature so much, the one thing probably that keeps me on the premium account as opposed to the middle tier account, which I don't remember what that's called, but the middle tier account is that Evernote just has this amazing business card scanner. And I have yet to find anything that's as good as it. And I still don't think I have, but Jeff and Jim have both written in with really good suggestions. Jeff says Microsoft Office Lens is excellent at business card scanning and that he is in sales and he uses it constantly. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And then Jim wrote in and recommends Abby for business card scanning. And I feel like we've talked about Abby before and we've tried it before. Now, there are like a gazillion different versions of Abby software that will do business card scanning. There is one that is free but has a bunch of different levels of in-app purchase. So you can do a couple of scans. And then if you need more than so many scans a month, you have to go to an in-app purchase or if you add an in-app purchase to, um, to add additional features. And then there's a pro version. It's quite pricey. It's $40, but then you're just done and you've got everything. So I've been playing around with the free version. It is pretty darn good. And I'm going to try to play around with it probably for another month or more. And if it continues to be pretty darn good, I'm probably just going to bite the bullet and buy it as the pro version and be done with it. Have you tried the Microsoft Office lens at all? Uh, that's the other thing I've got to compare it to. I've tried it for a couple of things and it seems pretty good as well. Let us know. Yes. Uh, but but two good options, both from Jeff and Jim. So thank you guys. Chow wrote in concerning AnyList. He says, I'd like to suggest you uh, try the AnyList app to replace the use you give to reminders for grocery lists. It's an amazing app with a yearly cost that is nothing compared uh, that is nothing compared with the organization that can give your life. And the link is anylistapp.com. I, you know, I'll, I'll look at it, but to tell you the truth, the shared lists that we do in reminders works. And my non-geek family now is used to looking in that app. And we don't have a super complicated workflow for that. It's like when we're out of bananas, somebody just writes bananas and the next person at the market gets bananas. So I don't know if I need that, but um, that's a, it's a good recommendation. One of the apps we did not cover was Pixelmator. And Mark wrote in to tell us that the app he uses all the time on his iPhone SE is Pixelmator. And it's really great when you have the almost perfect photo that you just want to make some quick tweaks on, such as removing an unsightly tourist from a shot which he says can be surprisingly easy depending on what's behind them, altering the brightness of a particular part of an image or adding some blur and focus effects. He's even used it to add text to a photo and make a meme. Uh, unsurprisingly, he says, he says surprisingly rather, he can get a lot done on the iPhone if he needs to. And, you know, we've talked about Pixelmator quite a little bit. They used to be a sponsor of the show. Um, and I, it's, I use it so much on my Mac, I kind of forget sometimes to use it as my go-to photo editor on the iPhone, but it should not be forgotten. Another great use for Pixelmator is if you like having custom lock screens, like if you take a nice picture of a cat or a dog or a mountain and you want to make that your lock screen um, a wallpaper on your iOS device, uh, it's kind of fun to have that carry over onto the desktop, but you don't want a busy picture behind your icons. So like if I have a really nice picture of, let's say, Jedi Master Yoda 
and I want to put him behind the icons as well, I open it in Pixelmator and they have a blur effect in it that's very good and you can just turn up the dial and get it really blurry so it's just barely recognizable. And then you save that as the wallpaper for your, um, your home screen behind your icons. And you save the focused version as your lock screen wallpaper, and it's really clever. So when you turn on your device, you see the pretty picture of your dog or Yoda or whatever. And then once you go to your icons, the picture's still there, but quite blurry in the background. It's, it's a nice effect. Some people would put their family on their lock screen. David puts Yoda. Well, I mean, my family. I mean, I see them all the time. <laughs> Uh, the, um, but it's, it's really easy and that's totally done on Pixelmator on the iOS device itself. You don't need to go to a Mac for that. I I've got to the point where I'm doing almost all of my photo editing at this point on an iPad between Pixelmator and a couple other different apps. All right. So this last piece of feedback we had in this section, we received from so many people. I think it is the most written in thing about Mac power users that, that we've ever received. So. We got you. But David, we missed this in our iOS 10 show. Did you know that there is now a way to print to PDF in Apple Mail and a lot of other apps now, too? Well, I, I've got a bigger surprise for you. This was in iOS 9, too. Well, it was an iOS 9 with 3D Touch. It's, it's available. Uh, it's a little bit more readily available now. I want to put a link in the show notes with a detailed tutorial. But basically what you can do is you can use the print command, which is available in the Apple share sheet, but more importantly, it's available in Apple mail. So if you go to a mail message and you tap reply, there's an option you can reply, you can forward, or you can print an email message. Once you get to the little printer dialog box where it says like what printer and how many copies and those types of things at the bottom of there, you can either, you can either force touch on it or at the bottom, there's a little share sheet in the lower left. And when you click that little share sheet, you can do all kinds of things like save it to Dropbox, save it to iCloud Drive, save it to wherever you want. But there's a share sheet there. You got to dig for it. you know. <laughs> but uh, there you have it. So it's getting closer to the ideal. But you know what this tells me is that there's no reason that they can't just add a share sheet. Just do it. Yeah, I don't know what to say. It's It's been so long that I, I know there's an interesting story behind it that only nerds would ever care about. But I don't know why they never, it's just not at the source level. And all these other apps we've been talking about have it already. But that's one less reason to have to leave Apple Mail. One of the other features I didn't mention in that show when we talked about Apple Mail that I use all the time is when you've got, with iOS 10 now, when you've got a thread of emails, you can pick a specific one in the list. Like if there's an email list that there's three or four people on and there's, let's say, seven emails in the chain, just go down the chain and then slide any one of them from right to left. And it gives you the ability to reply to that specific email, which is a, a very nice uh, improvement. All right. Well, I'm glad. Thank you for the feedback on that, gang. And everybody, we can now save the PDF with a little bit of extra clicking right in the native Apple Mail app. All right, Ulysses and Scrivener. We had a quite a bit, it was a fun show. We had quite a bit of feedback about that. Uh, Nicholas wrote in and wants to take exception uh, to you saying that Scrivener is not a plain text editor. Okay, let me have it, Nicholas. Just give it to me. Hi, Kitty and David. My name is Nick and I'm a professor in Qatar. I'm just calling to say that I loved your episode on Scrivener versus Ulysses. I, I wish that I had known about Scrivener when I wrote my dissertation. It would have saved me so much time. 
Um, in your comparison of the two apps, one difference that you noted was that Scrivener was more for rich text editing and Ulysses was all about plain text editing and Markdown. But I just wanted to put in a plug for Scrivener as a, as a plain text editor. For example, if you write in Scrivener using Markdown syntax, you can use Brett Terpstra's March 2 app to preview the document. And for academics who do a lot of citing of other scholars and everything needs to be in the right format, there's a flavor of Markdown called Pandoc. And it allows you to insert those citations very simply, and then it generates everything in the correct format. And again, you can use Marked to preview how those citations are going to look. So when I'm writing in Scrivener in Markdown, I don't need to worry about anything. No formatting, no citations, everything is just taken care of for me. And then when I'm done writing, I just export the document as plain text, run it through Pandoc, and I can create Word documents, uh, rich text documents, open office, LaTeX, PDFs, and they're all beautifully formatted and ready to go. Of course, I wouldn't have been able to think about doing any of this if I hadn't started listening to your show a couple of years ago. MPU has been a wealth of information for me, and you've really helped me bring my writing and just my day-to-day organization to a level where it's not taking up so much time or space in my head, and that way I can focus on what's important in life. So thank you very, very much for your show. And good luck to both of you in your indie law practices. And I hope you keep making and sharing this wonderful podcast for many years to come. You know, once in a while, I hear from somebody on the other side of the world that listens to our show, and it kind of knocks me on the side of the head because you forget, you know, (laughs) a couple nerds basically, you know, hiding in corners of their homes recording this thing that it gets that far out there. So thank you, Nicholas, for sending your audio comment. And I guess really what I meant by that, that distinction is that Scrivener has the ability to rich text, which a lot of people will want. And um, uh, uh, any application that you can put words on, you can write and mark down. That's the beauty of it. But but with Scrivener, you can go the extra level. You can put colors and do all sorts of different, you know, rich text formatting, which you can't do with Ulysses. So I really meant that as a um, benefit of Scrivener, but maybe I didn't say it properly. I don't know. Brian wrote in about uses for Scrivener. He says, I'm old enough to want to have last instructions in place for my wife and our daughter, and I use a combination of Scrivener and one password for this purpose. Scrivener deals with unclassified information and refers to secure notes and one password where appropriate. In my version of the Scrivener draft, there are 53 separate subjects divided into nine major groups. And he says, there's a lot of things to consider when providing last instructions, like how do you cancel my Amex card correctly, or how do you transfer Amazon Plus accounts with a thousand plus eBooks? So Brian is a reader <laughs> without loss. And how would my daughter get access to our banking accounts? There are many topics that should be covered and Scrivener is a great way to get this information organized. And I could see just because it's so multi-platform anymore, when something occurs to you, you can just make a quick note and never thought of that for uh, as a user Scrivener. As an estate planning attorney, Katie, have you ever... Uh, Thought of a digital way to do this for your clients? Well, I I was thinking and I wrote back to Brian, I, you know, Brian is writing a book. He's writing the user manual for his life. Uh, and I like that. I, I got to say, most of my clients probably wouldn't go to this much detail, but it's a it's a great idea. Um, you know, it's, and, and there's got to be a product out there where, you know, you can buy a template or things like that. I think a lot of people wouldn't want to go to this much trouble with it. But, you know, I have a little something written in in 1Password, and I, I tried not to be too long or, or too gory about it, but just said, you know, hey, um, if something happens, this is like, you know, what you absolutely positively have to know and and things that you should do. And um, I intentionally tried to keep it pretty short because I didn't know that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that's, if, if you're reading this, this probably isn't a great time. And so you probably don't want to read a novel. But I think if you're at a different 
if I were at a different place in my life, um, then yeah, my family probably would appreciate, you know, kind of a binder full of instructions on how to, how to run things. Yeah. I have, I have an instruction to my family. If, if I get hit by a bus that, um, my bat and all of my red shirts are to be immediately sent to Katie Floyd. Uh, that's good. So let's get talking about Gary now. Yes. Uh, Gary says that although Scrivener was conceived for novel writing, it is possible to use Ulysses for writing a book, fiction or nonfiction. And he suggests that you check out a book, Writing a Novel with Ulysses by David uh, Hearson. It's in the iBook store, which explains how to set out a novel as a project with sheets for characters, plot, etc. And the app's features like word targets. I think the book is actually a pretty useful introduction to Ulysses as an app, even if you're not considering writing a novel. So thanks, Gary, for pointing that out. And Tim wrote in with some Ulysses tips. He said, statistics, you can get statistics for somewhere all of your library by control clicking on a group and choosing statistics. You can even get statistics for everything you have stored in iCloud, including how long it would take to read your entire database by control clicking on iCloud in the sidebar and choosing statistics. And then he also mentioned tags and filters. He says when he's working on a document, like a blog post, he gives it a tag of in progress and has a filter called in progress to quickly get all the sheets he's working on. Similarly, he has tags and filters for incubating, scheduled, and complete. I've done something similar like that, but it's largely folder organized in Ulysses for blog posts where I have kind of a one called cooking where things are half written and then I kind of have a ritual where I move it into the archive after I post it and it feels really good. Lots of feedback on that. I'm glad, um, you know, we really wanted to do that show in a way that was respectful to both applications. I didn't want to make it a shootout because they're both super useful applications made by really serious people. And um, I'm glad it came across that way. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Daylight from Market Circle. Visit marketcircle.com slash daylight to try daylight for free for 30 days. And be sure to let them know you heard about daylight through the Mac Power users to get a 50% discount on your first monthly subscription. Have you ever got that feeling that your work is scattered, that you have your emails in one place and your calendar in another and your contact information spread across various systems? Notes and files aren't easily shared between team members and they frankly get lost. Are you losing sight of business opportunities because information is scattered between different places and between different team members? If this sounds like you, you need to give Daylight a try. Daylight is a business productivity application for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. It organizes your contacts, calendar, tasks, projects, emails, and new business opportunities all in one app, and it's shared with your team. When you're in a meeting with a client, you can take notes in daylight on your iPhone and delegate a task to your assistant back at the office. They'll get the notification on their Mac and be able to see the linked meeting notes, client details, and any files or attachments you include. Daylight also integrates with Apple Mail, so all your emails can easily be indexed to the client. This way you have a full history of communications with each client in one place, all the emails, meetings, and call notes, and even follow-up reminders. Gina from Vancouver uses Daylight in her team and says it allows us to keep everything in one place, no more calling out across the office, looking in filing cabinets, or asking each other when we last spoke to a client. Gina's not alone. A lot of the Mac Power users listeners are Daylight users, and I understand why. Market Circle and Daylight have been a long-standing member of the Mac community. They've grown and evolved the application over the last few years to be outstanding across all of the Apple platforms. 
Market Circle is a quality company producing a quality product, and I encourage you to go check it out. So head over to marketcircle.com daylight to try out Daylight for 30 days. If after the trial you're sold, be sure to let them know you heard about Daylight through the Mac Power users, and you'll get a 50% discount on your first monthly subscription. Thank you, Daylight, for supporting the Mac Power users. All right. Uh, listener workflows and tips, starting with Gabriel. He sent in an audio comment. Hey, Katie and David, Philip from Germany here. I just wanted to tell you briefly about a tool that has become indispensable to me, and that tool is Workflowy. Actually, you, David, once talked about it in a show, but confused it with an application close to Workflow, which it isn't. In reality, it's a combination between a note-taking app and a to-do list. The basic principle behind the app is fairly simple. You have an empty page and can fill it with bullet points. In contrast to other apps, you can nest those lists infinitely deep and expand or collapse sublists at will. It also supports name tags and hashtags. You can use bold and italic and so on, insert hyperlinks and install add-ons for your browser to make it work with Google Docs and many other applications. Basically, it gives a lot of freedom to the user. I use it to note down and organize to-dos, which you can also comfortably tick off. I use it as a grocery list shared with my household, a scratchpad for ideas such as new projects or gift ideas and much more. It has an iOS app, a macOS menu bar extension, and it works in every browser. Just wanted to tell you and your listeners about it. Maybe it'll be helpful to some of you. Greetings from Germany. Thanks for all your great shows. And I'm looking forward to the next episodes. It's an international show today. Yes, we are. I'll take that. Uh, Workflowy is an application that we get lots of emails about. And uh, I have looked at it. It's just not something I really need because I've kind of got other ways to scratch those itches. But there are a lot of Mac Power users that are super hooked on this application. So if that description piques your interest, I recommend you go try out Workflowy and see if that is an application that can help you out. So we were talking earlier in the show about subscriptions. And one of the reasons why I don't like subscriptions is that because it can be really easy for them to get out of hand and all of a sudden you're spending hundreds of dollars a month on subscriptions. But I certainly understand why subscriptions are important and why a lot of app developers are moving towards them. However, if you're like me and you can sometimes go a little subscription crazy, Rich pointed out that there's an app called Bobby available in the app store. It's a one-time purchase, not a subscription. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if it was though? It would be. <laughs> uh, that keeps track of all of your recurring charges like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Evernote, all in one place. And Rich said when he started plugging things in, he was shocked at how much he's already paying in subscription charges once he sees it all in one place. And I purchased it and I started plugging things in and I got to admit I was a little surprised too, especially with a lot of things that I just pay once a year, but really are recurring monthly subscriptions. It's, it's easy, especially when you're only paying these things once a year to not realize how they start to add up. Yeah, I, I did. I started something similar years ago. Uh, it started out as an Omni Outliner database, you know, just an Omni Outliner sheet. And at some point along the line, I switched it over to a numbers sheet, Apple Numbers. And uh, I, every time I get a new subscription, I go ahead, like I, I'm going to send for Zapier. Zapier is going to get an entry on that list. And I do keep track of it. And, you know, I'm willing to pay subscriptions, but I'm not willing to pay them for things that I no longer use. So it's a good idea to have them there. The other thing I would put in that sheet, whether you do it with a number spreadsheet or Omni Outliner or, or, or download Bobby, 
is get the email or contact information or whatever it is you need to unsubscribe. Sometimes it's an 800 number, sometimes it's a website, but I keep all of that in the same sheet. So uh, one of the reasons why we are uninclined to unsubscribe sometimes is we're not sure how to get started on the process. And we the idea of spending a half hour trying to figure out how to stop spending a dollar a month uh, turns into a problem. So write down how you can get out of it when you make that little spreadsheet. And that makes it a lot easier to to hit the eject button if the time comes. The other thing that I suggest you add to that spreadsheet, if you haven't already, is what credit card is it associated with? Maybe you only have one one credit card that you use for these things, but especially if you have multiple credit cards, sometimes you can get these things spread across multiple credit cards. And when that card gets compromised, and you know it will, um, you know what you need to go start changing your credit cards on. Are you using Apple Pay much? Wherever I can. I mean, but what does that, how does that translate into your life? But no, I'm not. I'm not using it nearly as often as I would like to because not many places are supporting it. It seems like it's getting a lot more traction here in California now. Well, I'm I'm sure it is because Apple is based there. But really, I think the only place I regularly shop in town that takes it is uh, Fresh Market. But Fresh Market's not my regular grocery store. I mean, Fresh Market's kind of my specialty grocery store when I'm, you know, making a special meal or looking for something specific. I probably shop there once or twice a month. It's not my everyday thing. I was just in a, a coffee shop of some sort or another and I ordered tea the other day and I used my watch to pay and the clerk was just amazed. And I'm like, okay, so this is really not a thing yet. If a clerk is surprised when you pay with your watch. Okay. Uh, Jeff wrote in about OneNote Web Clipper. He said, I moved a while ago from Evernote to OneNote. Uh, so he's gone to team OneNote. OneNote has an excellent web clipper. Microsoft also provides a very good app called Office Lens that scans documents, whiteboards, and business cards. In fact, we talked about that earlier today. It does an excellent job of getting business cards right and forwarding them to OneNote. So uh, one more fan of going in on a, on OneNote instead of Evernote. We uh, lamented in our Sierra show that although Siri had come to Sierra, that there was not a way to use the Hello Computer feature with Siri on the Mac, which we thought was kind of odd because why not? Was it just because the Mac was a public thing or was it because it, um, you know, it certainly wasn't because of any battery type issues. Uh, But a couple of people pointed us to um, a hack that you can use to turn on the Hello Computer feature on your Mac. And so a couple of things you have to do, I'm going to send a link to the Lifehacker article that really delay, uh, uh, details it out. But you need to turn on dictation and probably you should go ahead and use enhanced dictation, which if you're a Mac Power users listener, maybe you already do. But if you've never heard of it before, that allows it to dictate all of your words and it, it downloads like a gigabyte sized dictionary. It's, it's, it's a nice feature. And then under accessibility, Um, You can turn your Mac into an always listening machine to use an accessibility command. And so then what you do is you set up a trigger. And so when you say, and you actually can say, hello, computer. And so you can actually can set it to be that instead of the other uh, more common trigger phrase. You're you're, you're smiling right now, aren't you, Katie? I am smiling because I think I might do this. Um, And you can use that trigger phrase to open a particular application, which Siri is an application. On your Mac. Yeah. Siri.app. Can I take this particular moment to rant? Please. Uh, Do you think I could stop you? Yeah, I don't think you could. (laughs) So in this, in the, in the Sierra episode, I took some time and, and lovingly created, well, JT created the show notes, but I lovingly created the chapter markers and the artwork for that show. 
And I used a very particular piece of artwork for that section. And only one person noticed and commented on Twitter. Okay, we need to fix that. And and the fact that David is silent means that he did not even notice. No, I didn't either. Yes. <laughs> I did listen to the episode, but I was driving, so I didn't I didn't see what what artwork you used. Well, just tell me. I used a picture of Scotty with the classic Mac holding the mouse. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> now 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 see you did it nicely. I, on the other hand, got us in trouble with some of my recent artwork that I used on an episode where I forget what it was. I it was on the maps. You, you used a, we, you were talking about maps and some of the extra features that you can include in maps, including the ability to summon rides. And you used a piece of of artwork that that had lift. And a bunch of people wrote in saying that we were adding ads to the podcast. Yeah, and they thought that 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 we were then summoning a lift for them, and that was not the intention. So I'm very sorry about that. People saw that. Everybody saw that because they wrote in and we got lots of comments about that, but nobody <laughs> saw Scotty. I do have a little fun with the chapter names and the um, and the artwork. So I know Katie does, too. So you, uh, I hope you are enjoying that out there because we do take a little extra time to try and get that right for you. OK, um, but, yeah, that's interesting. So you can enable it. I really think that ultimately Apple needs to set this up in a way that you can use something other than Hello Computer to activate it on every device, because as it is. Uh, it's really difficult if you own more than one device to have a bunch of them go off. I, I just, the other day I walked into my home office and said, hello, computer, set a timer for 30 minutes. Cause I wanted to make sure I went to do something else in 30 minutes. And I had three timers going off in the room, <laughs> you know, uh, thanks a lot. Okay. Larry wrote in about money dance. Yes. This is in our continuing series. We have a lot of people talking about, uh, personal finance apps. What do they like? What do they don't like? What are the options? And uh, Larry pointed out we did not talk about Money Dance, so he wanted to share his experience with it. Hi, Katie and David. This is Larry from Massachusetts. I've listened to a few of your conversations over the past year about personal finance software, and I'd like to put my plug in for one that you haven't discussed lately, Money Dance by the Infinite Kind Software. When McMoney finally gave up the ghost around 2007 or 2008, I needed an alternative, and I didn't really want to move to Quicken. I found Money Dance and gave it a shot, and I haven't looked back since. Although I haven't used Quicken, based on the research I've done, I believe that Money Dance pretty much matches it feature for feature. I started using it just as a bank account register, which is how I was using McMoney. It worked well, and the human interface was clean and helpful. It does auto-complete on the payee and remembers the last expense category for each one, and auto-enters that one also. At some point, I realized I could automatically download transactions from some of my credit cards and bank accounts, the banks that support the OFX Direct protocol. This one feature has saved me an incredible amount of time not having to enter bank transactions and has improved my record keeping since I have all of my credit card transactions categorized. It has also helped me catch a few fraudulent transactions on my credit cards since I can view the transactions every time I open the program without having to log into each of the websites. Quicken also supports a mechanism for downloading transactions from some banks that don't support OFX Direct, but MoneyDance has avoided this approach due to some security concerns. MoneyDance supports budgeting per category and tracking spending against budget, and it can also generate a wide variety of graphs and reports, which are especially helpful at tax time. There's also support for investment accounts and tracking stocks and mutual funds, which I've played with a little, but I don't use on a regular basis. One of the things that I've been most impressed by 
is the infinite kind support. When I report an issue, I always get an email back within 24 hours, usually less. They work with me via email exchange and stick with it until the issue is resolved. They also now have a Slack channel that's frequently populated by other users, as well as support people, which provides another way of getting support. Money Dance has been actively developed with a major release roughly every two years and several minor releases each year. I've been using Money Dance for eight years now, and I've not been disappointed. I enjoy listening to your podcasts. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. I think we're going to continue just to play hard to get about money-related uh, apps, and then our listeners are going to just take care of it for us because we're getting some really good feedback and reviews in on these applications that you and I aren't going to be trying. So keep it coming, guys. Yeah, this is one of those things where it, you know it's hard for us to demo them and. I don't really know that I want to, honestly. I've got a solution that works for me. I know you've got a solution that works for you. I'm not particularly thrilled with my solution, but it works. So, All right. Um, so Katie got herself a new phone, and we've got a new phone in our house, which I'll explain. <laughs> and I got to spend some quality time with the Apple AirPods, which are not coming out until the end of the month. So we have some stuff to talk about in just a minute. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, 1Password. So you've heard us preach for a long time about how the best thing that you can do to up your security to game is to have strong, unique passwords that you use across all of your various websites. So you don't want to use Fluffy24 and repeat that same password over and over again across the various sites. You're a Mac Power user. You know these things. But let me ask you, how good is your family at those types of things? Well, maybe you're the tech guru in your family kind of your job to make sure that your family is protected. And one of the great ways to do that is with 1Password for Families. So now you can share all of the goodness with 1Password with your family. 1Password has a family plan that starts just $4.99 a month, but wait, there's more, uh, for a family of five people. You have unlimited use of 1Password to store things like passwords and credit cards, secure notes. You get up to one gigabyte of secure document storage and, of course, access to all of the award-winning apps for Mac, iOS, and if some of your family members are Android or Windows people, yes, it'll work for them, too. I know, can't pick your family, so... One password's there for you as well. What one password is going to allow you to do is share and protect all of those passwords with your family members. It's the easiest and safest way to share passwords, credit cards, and anything else that's too important to leave chance. But not everything needs to be shared with your whole family. So everyone in your family is going to get personal vaults so they can each keep all of their own private passwords and documents managed under a single subscription. And then you can also have passwords that you share across the whole family, like maybe your Netflix password. Or maybe the password for the home utility company. And you as the administrator are going to decide who to share your information with and what they can do with it. And of course, you get all the great features of using 1Password like seamless sync, item backup, 24-7 support, and the great 1Password watchtower service that's going to give you notification if there's security breaches. Or maybe you've gotten a little lazy and reused the same password across multiple services. But of course, because 1Password loves Mac Power users and we love them, they've got a special offer for you. So if you go to onepassword.com slash MPU, and MPU has to be in all caps, you can save 20% off 1Password for families or 1Password for teams. There's also a free 30-day trial so you can try it out before you buy. So head over to onepassword.com slash MPU, remember that MPU is in all caps, to claim your 20% savings. Thanks to 1Password for their continued support of the show. David, explain to me how, after everything that has happened, I am holding in my hand 
an iPhone 7 that is mine and you are not. And I am not. <laughs> I, you know, Katie, I, it just, I feel like I was just born under a cloud with us. Sometimes things in your life happen where they just don't work out right. <laughs> and for some reason this year, me getting a new phone was one of those. So I initially signed up for the Apple upgrade program because we have the Apple upgrade program, but the first couple of days that all stuff, Apple was not ready and just things kind of went a little haywire. And then I got an email saying that my, my order had been dropped because I hadn't confirmed it, even though I never got an email telling me to confirm it. So it was just a big mess. And I, I called up Apple and I was going to spend some time on the phone with them. And I decided it wasn't worth making a fit about. So I just ordered another one which means I didn't get my order in for my plus phone for a day or two after it all started, which put me back. And then when it came time to ship my wife's phone, because she got a gold one, so her, her shipped sooner than mine would. She had a plus or a regular? She got a plus and she really likes it. Um, okay. But when it came time to ship it, my credit card company was convinced they were, Apple was defrauding me. So they. Because you had now bought two plus phones and a watch or two watches. Yeah. Or, no, just one watch. Okay. They, they promptly canceled the charge. <laughs> and again, I didn't get notice for a while and I finally got that sorted out. And so her phone showed up and she's been nice enough to let me uh, run the beta on it and spend a bunch of time testing it. But it's not my phone. And then my phone will be here, I think, tomorrow. So it's all getting there. But but so we've been spending a lot of time with this iPhone 7 Plus and, and I really like it. The, the new camera is significantly better, but that's something you could say every year. I think we could say that again next year, too. But uh, they are noticeably better. Um, the uh, We've got the beta installed, so we've been playing with this portrait mode. And um, I've got some pictures I'm going to actually post on Max Barkey probably before the show goes live. So go to Max Barkey and check it out. Of course, they involve not dogs or kids, but Yoda. And you can see that it works pretty good. It's not the same thing as if you had a really fancy camera with an expensive lens. But for most people, it's going to be, I think, just fine. My favorite picture demonstrating this new portrait mode, which is where the subject remains very focused and the background gets kind of blurry like you get with expensive cameras, is the uh, is Jason Snell's cat. Jason uh, did a post on his website, and he's got this great picture of his cat, and you can see where the fur is sticking out of the cat, and at some point the fur just gets cut off and blurred into the background, you know, the individual hairs. So it's a, it's a software, you're trying to replicate something very precise done in the physical world with software and it doesn't always work exactly right but it is nice uh more importantly though i think is that low light lens and you're going to get that you've got this on your phone too right it takes way better pictures indoors than the last phone did i mean significantly better are, are you experiencing that because tell us what you ended up doing all right so we we talked on the previous show and i won't go through the whole detail but about my tale of woe on my plan and we couldn't upgrade and da 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 and i was i had accepted that i was fine with it and um lo and behold my family got iphone fever for a number of reasons i would like to be very clear that they were the ones who could not contain themselves not me and so everyone in my family has ended up upgrading to iphone 7s for various reasons verizon had a pretty killer deal where they were giving you up to $650 as a bill credit if you turned in your iPhone 6, which is what we all had. We had iPhone 6s. Um, so ultimately, I was able to upgrade to an iPhone 7. I got the matte black uh, 128. And so it will end up costing me a few dollars more a month 
than um, what I was, well, actually it will end up costing me less a month because by doing that, we also ended up changing our plan. Um, so net, I'm coming out with my monthly bill going down a month and I got a brand new iPhone and I will be now eligible for their, Verizon has their own iPhone every year program, which you know, I'll need to do the math and all next year because this year was kind of an anomaly year. I'll need to do the math and all next year to see if it really makes sense to stay with Verizon or to jump onto the Apple upgrade program. But uh, I have a 128 uh, matte black iPhone 7. Kind of wonder if I made the wrong decision there because after I ordered them the day later, I went to the Apple store. We happened to be in Jacksonville for some various reasons, and I actually had a chance to hold them in my hand. Uh, the jet black is so, so nice to hold. Okay, so forget about the money for a second. What, do you like the phone? Oh, yes, I, I do like the phone. Um, I am finding it, because remember, I am upgrading from a 6. You 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 came from the 6S. So I'm finding a lot of things. I'm not finding the phone itself to be that different. I mean, obviously, it's the same form factor. It's the you know same, IO, same OS, same basic features. But a lot of little things that I could not do on my 6 with iOS 10, I can now do with this iPhone 7. So, for example, um, I, I could not use 3D Touch on the iPhone 6 because that was only a feature that came with the 6S. And I'm finding that I enjoy that and I'm using it in various places. I'm not using it a ton, but I'm using it enough that it's something that I'm now glad that I had. Yeah. Like, do you use it? Have you used it with the OmniFocus icon? I use that every day. It's super useful. Yeah. To to quick add something or to see what's going on in my forecast or to reply to notifications. Um, the other thing that I've I've used quite a bit is voicemail transcription. Now that's supposed to be a feature of iOS 10, but apparently it only works on if you have that that motion coprocessor for whatever reason. So the voicemail transcription never worked on my iPhone 6, but it does work on the iPhone 7. Um, so a couple of like little software features and things that never really worked on my iPhone 6 that, that now work on my iPhone 7. So I really feel like now I'm getting the true iPhone experience. The screen is gorgeous. I've got it only up at about 25% brightness, and it's very clearly more vivid and, and brighter than my previous iPhone screen. And I got to tell you, I really, really like the home button. I I think some people may be hit or miss with that. But it wasn't even close with me. It was one of those things where I, with the first press, I liked the home button. Why is that? I I, I just, I like pushing it. It doesn't feel like a real button to me. It doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I know it's not the same. I doesn't have the same clickiness or tactileness as a, as a, as the old iHome phone home button. It's different, but I think it's better. I prefer it. I find double tapping easier with the new home button, which is not a button. The, um, now, there's three different settings. You can put it on soft, medium, or hard. Which which setting do you have on it? I've got it on three, the hardest one. And the camera, you have any big feelings on the camera? Or maybe you don't take that many pictures? I don't take that many pictures. I think it's a fine camera. I can definitely tell a little bit of a difference with it. One of the big motivations for me to upgrade now, other than the chance fact that it, it actually it actually saved me money by switching to the plan and getting the new phone. Uh, I mean, it never saves you money because, of course, you had to pay taxes. I, I say that it saved me money. My monthly bill went down. It did not ultimately save me money because you had to pay the taxes. You got to pay the difference. You got to pay for all the accessories and all those things. You're talking about money again, though. I want to know about the phone features. One of the things that 
that prompted me to is, I don't know if I told you, actually today, I'm going on a tulip cruise in April. A tulip cruise? A, a tulip cruise, yes. Okay. Uh, and one of my, something my mom has always wanted to do, we went to, uh, we went to Amsterdam in Holland in, 10 years ago in 2007 when, um, on, on one of these kind of whirlwinds, hop on the bus, hop off the bus type cruises. And my mom always wanted to go back in April to see the tulips. And so that's what we're doing in April. We are going on a tulip cruise. It's on one of these riverboat cruises where you go in through Holland and the Netherlands and up and down and you stop at about, uh, four or five different ports and you ride your bikes and you see the tulips. But I wanted, I wanted a great camera to be able to take pictures of tulips. Nice. And if you like drop in the water, you're probably okay too. Oh yeah. That was another thing. You know, this morning, um, I, I screwed up and I, for whatever reason, I didn't recharge my, my Bluetooth speaker. I have a Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom that I listened to when I was, I, I normally, I always leave my iPhone out of the bathroom when I'm getting ready in the morning. And I have a Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom that I connect it to. And that when I, when I'm getting ready in the morning, because, you know, water splashing around and things like that, you know, I listen to podcasts and I listen to the news and I do those types of things. But this morning, the Bluetooth speaker was dead. I'd forgot. I always recharge it over the weekend and I'd forgotten to recharge it this weekend. And you know what? I thought, no big deal. Number one, this iPhone has great speakers now. So I was able to crank up the volume, turn up the speakers. It was, you know, loud enough. Um, and I didn't worry about setting it on the counter if it got splashed because who cares? Yeah. I, I offered to take my wife's phone into the shower, you know, take pictures of, and I might have a little notepad in there. You know, she, she said, I'm not allowed. She said, I'm a weirdo and I'm not allowed. That's a good call. Okay. So the other thing that happened this month is a friend of mine is, um, has been given a set of the Apple AirPod, AirPods that are not out coming out till the end of the month. And I got to spend a bunch of time with them. So, uh, I decided, let me just share with the gang what my experience was. So Apple's got these new Bluetooth headphones that we talked about a little bit right after the Apple event. Now I have spent time with them in my ears and like an idiot, I was jumping around and shaking my head and doing all the things that, you know, everybody would do to see if they could make the things fall out of their ear. And I'm actually a lot more excited about the Apple AirPods now than I was before I was able to try them. Now, have you had problems with the AirPods? Because I personally prefer the AirPods to Apple's older rounded earphones. Oh, yeah. The AirPods are better than the older ones by far, I think. Because some people don't. Some people don't like them. Well, I think it's just the shape of your ear. I mean, for some people, they work. And for some people, they don't. Uh, and I would say that these feel, these new AirPods, and just if just to, to bring you up to speed, if you forgot, they're maybe 160 bucks, and they, they look like two Apple EarPods with the cords cut off them. You know, it's got the little, like, dangly part, but inside there is an antenna and a microphone and everything. There's no cord, and you just stick in your ear. And it comes with a little thing that is literally the size of dental floss. You know, like, if you go to any store and buy a, a little cartridge of dental floss that's how big this thing is and it's got a little magnetic enclosure so you drop the airpods into the enclosure they've got out of the box about five hours of battery life and you put them in there and then they can recharge in there and they charge very quickly so and the and the enclosure has a battery inside of it so if you plug the enclosure in every night and charge it up you're going to have a full day's worth of battery um, with these airpods and then you can put one in your ear and it's mono and it's smart enough to know if it's just one or if you put two in your ears, it's stereo. And if if ear pods, you know, the existing things, with the cords on them are OK in your ears, these will be OK in your ears, too. 
I suspect if ear pods fall out of your ears, I suspect these would fall out of your ears too. So there's a little bit of a kind of a litmus test for you, but, but ear pods fit fine with me. Well, the, the difference being at least these do not have the weight of the cord hanging on them. So. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I've noticed is the only time I ever have ear pods come out of my ear is when I walk by a, a door, um, handle. Door knob, yeah. every door knob in the world is attracted to the cord of my ear pods and yanks them out. It's, it's a magnetic thing. Yeah. So without the cord hanging, actually, they're more stable in your ears. And I did shake my head vigorously and try to like make them fall out. And they didn't. Now, now is that meaning this is something I would do vigorous sports in? Probably not. I wouldn't be doing rock climbing in these, but I think you could easily jog in them or hike in them. Um, so I'm not that worried about them falling out of the ears after having spent some time with them. The, the battery charging, I think, is really cool. And it, they just snap right into that thing and you can put it in your pocket or your bag and you're good to go. Um, I spend a lot of time every day on the phone. I'm a lawyer and uh, I've been trying different Bluetooth headsets to see what would work best for me for dealing with all these phone calls. And I suspect that one of these AirPods in my ear during the day would be perfect in terms of being comfortable, having good audio, good microphone. I think that's probably what the way I'm going to go with it. Um, so the single ear mode works really good. Um, the thing I like least about them was the lack of physical controls because I've got a couple different bluetooth headsets and most of them have a little cord attached to them that attaches the two the two earbuds together and, and on them is a little clicker like you have on a corded ear pod and that way you can stop and start the music and turn up and down the volume this doesn't have any of that stuff it's just got you can just tap them and if you tap them it triggers siri and then you can tell siri to do something so when i was testing it i was able to use my apple watch to turn volume up and down and pause you know with the audio controls on my apple watch but not everybody's going to have an Apple watch. So then you'd have to pull it out of your, either pull your phone out of your pocket or you'd have to talk out loud to your headphones, which neither one of them really is ideal. So I think, I think that's a big hang up for a lot of people, but in general, these are some really good quality, you know, Bluetooth headphones. The audio quality, I guess I haven't mentioned, isn't super great. It sounds to me a little less good than the ear pods, but you know, having owned several pairs of Bluetooth headphones, it doesn't sound worse than any of them. If anything, it maybe sounds a little better than the existing Jaybirds I have. And uh, I really like them. So I think it's going to be fun getting a pair of these at the end of the month. Very cool. I'm really looking forward to them. They're definitely on my list. I don't know if I'm going to buy them straight when they get out because they do kind of sound like great in the realm of, of uh, Christmas gifts. Yeah, they do. I think I'm going to put them on my uh, Christmas gift list, but uh if nobody else buys them for me, uh, hint, hint, although my, nobody listens to this podcast, um, they will be the gift that I buy myself after Christmas. Yeah. I, I, what I didn't mention, I'm going to put, I wrote a little post on this. I'll link it in the show notes. The, um, uh, the, the pairing on these things is just ridiculously easy. Uh, one problem that Apple solved that nobody else can is, you know, pairing Bluetooth headphones is always a bit of a crapshoot. You got to go into the Bluetooth settings and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. These things, it, it just sees them. It switches when you're going between devices. I didn't test it extensively. For instance, I did not test it between a Mac and an iPhone, but um, the pairing is a lot easier. And that's, you know, the advantage of having one company make the hardware and the software and all that, other, all the other pieces. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to them. I think they're going to be nice. By the next time we do one of these shows, they'll be out so we can talk about it then in greater detail. Cool. 
Well, folks, I think that's going to about wrap us up for uh, this episode of MPU Plus. Thank you to everybody who sent in your audio comments and your feedback. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you want to share your feedback with us, uh, you can send us an audio comment by recording it. You can record it however you want. That um, voice recorder app on the iPhone works great. And you can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah, try to keep it under two minutes and uh, make it absolutely fascinating for everyone. But do send them in. We love hearing from you. And uh, our challenge is next month to have more audio recording. So so get them in to us if you can. And thank you to our sponsors, Boom, Automatic, Market Circle, and 1Password. We will see you all next week. Bye.